Cars today are safer, more reliable, and packing more technology than ever before. But if you're looking for an appliance on wheels, this isn't your show. We want to help everyone find a car they'll really love, capable on the commute, and a laugh on your favorite road. If you take the long way home, this is for you. New cars, used cars, whatever your budget, whatever your needs, if you like to drive, we want to help. I'm Todd. I'm Paul. And this is the Everyday Driver Car Debate. Hey, everyone. Welcome back to the podcast. We are thrilled to have you with us, as we usually are, and uh, diving back to the car debates. This has been uh, a lot of fun to notice the podcast numbers climbing increasingly, mm -hmm. which both Todd and yeah. I are noticing. This is really something else, and you're putting us up there. You're rating and reviewing. Thank you, guys. And, yeah, uh, yeah we're, we're telling you what you know you're already doing. We realize this, but <laughs> just understand that it's working because as we look at the analytics – it just keeps shooting up, and we're thrilled to have you with us. So thank you for joining us. Yeah, we appreciate it. Absolutely. And, and being on Autoblog uh, Podcast last week was uh, was really cool. We seem to have found some new people from that, too. So thank you if you're just joining us. We're glad you've discovered our podcast. And we are every Tuesday and Friday, which means we're actually recording this on uh, the Monday night of Memorial Day in the U.S. We realized, oh, my gosh, we got a podcast we got to do. So <laughs> right. uh, it's, been, it's been a busy day. But in the process of that, we've watched the new Top Gear. But, of course, you have a car debate you've set up for us, too. Yeah, we've got Justin Coldiron or Colderon. I'm not sure how you pronounce your last name, Justin. He has written to us with uh, quite a story here and asking mm -hmm. for professional help. <clears throat> so I found that uh, yeah. rather funny. But no, uh, yes. he's, he's got this great story. And the, the catch here is that his wife is going to kind of take the old car and let Justin uh -huh. pursue the sports car, I suppose, of his dreams, but really the, of his budget and really get the sports yeah. car, get the yeah, fun yeah. car. So she is sacrificing. That's the big thing. She's sacrificing mm – -hmm. Justin's got a bunch of questions, and he's got a healthy budget here, too, to work with. Yeah, and he's and he's driven some stuff and has some stuff he's really curious about already, so that's kind of good to go through that. Well, I've thought of a couple things that aren't on his list, but I'm looking forward to talking that through for sure. Oh, good. Good. Excellent. Excellent. Well, that'll be a lot of fun. Well, we so. should talk. We have literally almost just this second dropped into the podcast because earlier tonight, actually, we watched the uh, the new the relaunch of BBC's Top Gear with our, their all-new 6-7 host format, whatever, the, the Chris Evans version yeah, that also right. has Chris Harris on it, right. Matt LeBlanc, etc. On and on it goes. So we've just watched that. In fact, we watched it so close to recording this that Paul and I haven't even talked about the show. We watched it and went, <laughs> all right, we have to podcast. So this will be right. literally our, our actual gut reaction debrief. And, you know, the only reason to cover this is I have to give one blanket caveat, Paul, I, I realize. And that okay. is we know from producing video it's just hard. Yeah, yeah. Okay, so so anything that we say from this point about what's working or not working is underneath the caveat of this is incredibly difficult. And the the, the traditional Top Gear UK guys, the three guys we love that are now going to Amazon, I mean – I think they would even acknowledge it became a phenomenon far beyond what they ever imagined. Mm -hmm. They just hit on yeah. something. So it's not like you're going to drop into this and do that again. And it's difficult to produce at a high level. It's expensive to produce at a high level. Um, you know, you and I joke about the three variables. You've got good, fast, cheap, pick two. Um, you know, so <laughs> if you're going to do it cheap, it's going to take a while. Well, they're going to do it. They're going to do it fast. So it's not cheap. Um, but, you know, that's the thing. I'm looking at this reality going, this is kind of rebooting this show is a little bit of a lose-lose hmm. because okay. people are coming in with so many preconceived notions and they're coming in, let's be honest, in love with the last version they saw. Sure, 
Sure. And knowing it's been completely redone, I loved what it used to be. I mean, let's just put it in car terms for a moment. You have a car that you love that's the greatest version of that car ever, and they just decided to make a new version, and it's totally changed. But it's the same name. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah. You're going to go in going, I, you better impress me because I love my car. You know, it's, that's kind of what we're talking about. So I watched this, and some of the things I realized in watching this first episode were very different than I expected going in. But I'm kind of curious what your gut reactions were. Well, so as you said, spoiler alert, we're going to talk about the Top Gear, the new episode here. Mm-hmm. And not that we need yeah. to dice down, you know, dice apart every show that, you know, every new episode. But the first one here that is the reboot with the new hosts it is worth mm-hmm. discussing. And so maybe, yeah, listen to our commentary and then go watch it. See what you think. Form your own opinions. That's, you know, they might differ, which is well, perfectly fine. You, you you say that also because this is getting all kinds of press coverage in the automotive world that it's yeah. being relaunched. I mean, there's been lots of commentaries written already. And I will acknowledge I haven't read anybody's commentaries yet. So we may massively disagree with someone. We may align with somebody. I'll be curious to read some of the commentaries after the fact and realize you know, who do we agree with? But I'm sure, just, it's sure. enough of a news item in, in this world that we delve in that I feel like we should discuss it. Yeah, we definitely should. I, um, I will first start out by saying, you know, the whole reason we love doing this is, you know, watching Top Gear and driving cars, it's entertaining. It's a lot of fun. And we mm-hmm. love Top Gear UK because of the entertainment value. That's the whole reason sure, people tuned sure. in and loved it. Does it really get down into the the nitty-gritty of this car over that car and you as a buyer? No, it doesn't. That's really where Mm -hmm. you and I, you know, Mm -hmm. talk about cars and the car debate and on the show. But this is really an entertainment show. As you and I like to joke, it's a travel channel with a car problem. You don't even have to like cars and look at the scenery. So it takes you, you know, transports you to a different world for 10 minutes per, you know, per segment. And so watching through this, I might be... I suppose, a little less critical. It's easy to come in very critical, as you said, because, you know, it's the beloved show. And I'm wondering how many discussions started out, well, we've got this golden opportunity. We could either take Mm -hmm. it in an entirely new direction with the new cast, keep the name, or we could do the tried and true, this worked over Mm -hmm. here. Maybe they do morph it into something else in the future. But for right now, this new reboot, it was really the same formula. Now, yeah. mm-hmm. it didn't really work in America. For the Top Gear America, I don't feel like putting that formula. It, you could see the rule book. Here's sure. the playbook, guys. And it yeah, seemed like you're right. you're it right. didn't really work for the American hosts, and so they took it in a different direction. Now, here we've got an American on the Top Gear, you know, an American Matt, yeah. Matt LeBlanc, yeah. as, as the American host, doing mm-hmm. the UK formula playbook here. And I thought it yeah. was successful uh, mainly because we know what's coming. So we know sure. the films, we yeah, know yeah, the yeah. format, all those kinds of mm-hmm. things. And so I, I sat back first and I thought, you know, am I being entertained? Is it just corny and, you know, all that? Well, no, it's entertaining. And then is it formative? All those kinds of things. Does it make me want to keep watching? But then I thought, well, yeah, it's touching on all those things. But then we've seen this before. It's now just different yeah. people. Yeah. So... I would love to see it pushed in a new direction. I think for the reboot, Mm. they kind of had to kind of do what they know and love, what everybody's expecting, and test the waters, test themselves, flex their own presenting muscles. Speaking of which, I thought Matt was hilarious. I was laughing out loud. He was fabulous. He was great. You've touched on some interesting things already. I agree with you. Actually, I have to say, personally, 
I like Matt LeBlanc more than Chris Evans. Mm -hmm. Now, I don't have history with Chris Evans listening to him on BBC Radio. You know, clearly, and and honestly, when I watch him on TV, he feels like a radio host to me. His delivery style, his speed, he feels like a radio host to me and not a TV guy. Sure. I I know this sounds weird, but he, he feels to me like, if you watch, I realize they're different personalities, but if you watch... He and LeBlanc side by side. LeBlanc is very subtle. He's been on camera mm-hmm. a lot. Yeah, tiny yeah. little moves. He knows read. An Chris eyebrow, Evans is very you know, big. Yeah. Raise an eyebrow at the audience, is, and it's hilarious. You know, totally. Chris Evans is very, very big. He's just physically big, which sure actually helps your voice on radio, but can look a little kind of frantic on TV. So I was, and, and maybe that's just who he is. But I, I felt like. It was a radio guy doing TV a little bit because he was he was being very big, and I kept thinking if I was only hearing this, it'd be perfect as far as delivery wise. But with all of the movement, I'm kind of like you can you can be so much more subtle on camera. Hmm. But that was one thing that struck me, and I, and I guess it was the contrast with LeBlanc who was being subtle but made that work. But anyway, um, I don't think Chris Evans was bad. I just thought Matt LeBlanc exceeded my expectations. I thought he had almost every moment I thought was genuinely funny was his. Right. But I want to come back to something you said, and that is I'm shocked at how much this did just feel like a recasting. Yeah, yeah. I, I really expected, especially with all the hosts they introduced, I really expected more of a shift, more of a change in the style. And it was... Pretty much just oh well we cast person A is now person X and person B is now you, you know what I'm saying I, <laughs> right I'm draw the line from this person to that. that person that just slot them right yeah. into the same stuff right I mean obviously with with all the hosts and as we go forward and look I will also acknowledge this is show one we're not going to do right. this for every episode there's right. no point but I was I was a little taken aback not that it was produced badly but I was a little taken aback that it felt like what we would have seen last season just with different guys plugged in. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Could they have opened themselves up more for criticism had they come out with brand new segments, untested, untried? Because the the way Top Gear UK is now, or the way it ended and is now rebooted, that mm-hmm. was a morph. I mean, you and I have watched episodes yeah, from yeah. way back, and we've seen a, a, Certainly, yeah. you know, the change. They've gone through seasons of just destruction of property, and then seasons yeah, 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 of yeah. just focusing on cars. And they, mm-hmm. they've really fine-tuned and honed things a certain way that they know the audience responds to, which, by the mm-hmm. way, was a huge studio audience. So oh, they've, my gosh. They've fine-tuned everything to know that, okay, this works. This format works. Now, does it matter the person at that point? As you said, mm-hmm. the show because of that, the show grew bigger than the trio. So now plug yeah. a new person with new personality and, you know, most of Matt's f- funniest moments were entirely unscripted. Top Gear likes to yeah. do the very scripted thing, as we know. Yeah. But when he would just jab, he'd notice something and make a snide comment or this. Just, yeah. I mean, the, the Aerial Nomad segment had me laughing. And I thought it was really a lot of fun. Clearly, he was having yeah. fun. And that translated yeah. on camera. You're right. He's been on camera before. But I could feel his personality. And so let him run. Let a known personality yeah. run, and they'll put their own spin on things in this format. However, then as I watched more and more, I thought, okay, we kind of know what's coming. Okay, the celebrity guests, and okay, mm-hmm. then mm-hmm. the next segment, what's the car going to be? Okay, it's that car. You know, we know what's coming. It's just sort of yeah. then we're just watching just for the car at that point. 
we want to be watching for the personalities. So I'd, I'd like to see them push and morph the show past where they're at now. We've reached the pinnacle. Mm-hmm. They had some viewers. They had a lot of viewers. Yeah. I think maybe yeah. not as much as they'd like. But I just think it's so easy to be critical right off the bat. Let's, you know, as you said, after, you know, movies play or, you know, ratings or whatever, let's just, okay, here we are now. It was okay. Yeah. It was good. We liked it. Yeah. We were entertained. Cars. I mean, yeah. Yeah, definitely. It was, it's nice to see well-produced car content, period. And I have to say, I was also surprised, talking about plugging people into an established format, I was surprised at how much it felt produced by much of the same team, even though I know the right. team is massively changed behind the scenes. Sure. It, it very much felt like, I mean, the, the, the downside of UK Top Gear with the three guys that have left, the downside of that was we'd gotten to a place where a lot of their road trips, they felt produced now. Plug mm-hmm. this problem in where we had this problem before. They felt produced. These felt the same level of just produced, set up, which is not necessarily bad, but it didn't feel like the shakeup that the kind of controversy would suggest. And that actually leads me to another point. Okay. I have seen a couple little headlines where they're talking about, wow, the new UK Top Gear is a huge success. Here are the numbers, big numbers in Britain. I'm sure big numbers elsewhere. It's such a huge success. And I want to stop everybody for a reality check real quick because I feel like it's one of those short television memory moments. Okay. Whenever a TV show hits controversy, like very public media controversy, and reboots, the next episode of the reboot always has huge ratings. It's the looky-loos. It's the people that are just curious. I'll give you a, a fairly recent example. You and I talked about this earlier. The show Two and a Half Men, yeah, right. which, of course, was the show Charlie Sheen was on, and then he went completely nuts and had a Twitter war and got fired and became you know, Mr. Winning for five minutes. <laughs> right. That, that whole thing was so controversial. If you didn't ever watch Two and a Half Men, you still knew about the show because of that madness. Then they cast Aston Kutcher to replace that role. Then the first episode of that, and I didn't even watch that show, but yet I read enough media news to know this. The first episode of that, when they rebooted it with Ashton Kusher, was, I think, the biggest ratings that show had seen to date. And everybody celebrated, rejoiced. Look what we've done. The show's going to be even bigger with Ashton Kusher. It never hit those levels again. But Hmm. it was curiosity. Hmm. And so here we are with a reboot of Top Gear. The rating for this first episode, I would submit to you, is irrelevant. It's entirely irrelevant. Tell me what episode three and four and five are, because that's going to be where it settles out. This first episode, even if you and I hated it, and we didn't, we're going to watch, keep watching it for sure. Sure. But even if you and I hated it, we would have watched this episode. So now it's the people that don't care about cars, wouldn't ever watch Top Gear otherwise, or absolutely hated it. They won't be back. So that number is going to drop, no question. And there is no way to gauge if this is a success based on episode one. I had a thought while watching. I thought, I wonder what the the prior trio thinks, you know, when they see this episode. Mm. I wonder Mm. what's going through their minds now, you know, creating their own show over here on Amazon. And then watching this going, yeah, that was us. You know, Mm -hmm. it is. It's a bigger thing than them. But maybe not. And that's why I say this show needs to get creative and pretty quick. It worked. Mm-hmm. Use the rule it book. Did. Here's the playbook. But it needs to get creative and morph into something else. Because we all watched while the show morphed over a period of a couple decades. And we yeah, yeah. liked it. And we, you know, embraced it. Well, with new hosts and a, you know, new format. Or not a new format. I mean, new hosts and... 
and yeah. uh, you know, same kind of format. It needs to grow. It needs to evolve even more and now mm-hmm. play to the strengths of the personalities that we do have. We've got a huge cast here in comparison. Yeah. We've got seven yeah, people. I mean, Sabine, Sabine was barely used. Chris Harris wasn't anywhere to be seen. You know, he and Rory did the extra gear, which I'll acknowledge we haven't watched. If you've watched right, that and have right. thoughts on that, we'd, we'd welcome your thoughts on that. I think Chris Harris is in next week with the the McLaren uh, 675s. We're curious about that. I want to see Rory on camera. I mean, everything I've seen of his is great. Mm-hmm. Sabine was massively underused, um, you know, which brings up a point. I mean, I felt like there were a couple of sick segments. The Reliant Robbins segment got into this, but the Nomad segment and the opening segment definitely got into this. Where you've got a well-shot, well-produced, interesting location segment. Sure. And then you added a layer where I just went, did we need to go there? I mean, in the <laughs> opening when it was Z06 which, which versus Viper, very cool. On an airbase for Top Gun, also cool. Do we need to do guns on the roof? Really? <laughs> right, right. I mean, you know, that, that felt like the five-year-old got into the development meeting. Let's put guns on it. <laughs> and sure. Then, you know, I loved, I loved Matt in, the, uh, in Morocco. In I think it was Morocco, but Matt in the in the Nomad in the middle of the desert talking about Lawrence of Arabia. Cool. You could have had him chased by anybody. You could make James Bond jokes, whatever. Did it have to be paparazzi and three guys flying around? I don't know. That felt like you know that was the bridge too far. I there were some cool yeah. segments that felt like they just got produced to the point where it was like, wait, wait, one more little thing we should add, and that felt like an extra. But again, episode one, they blew it out. I'm excited, genuinely excited now to see the rest of this season. Because they didn't fumble, but I wanted to see more of a shakeup. Sure. And maybe that'll come. You know, maybe they, they mm-hmm. decided, maybe. you know what? Absolutely true. Yeah. The shakeup, because how will that be received? It could be, it could mm-hmm. be bombing. You know, it, they could just completely lose it. The, the new creative concepts that we've thought of, that'll bomb with the audience. And therefore, everybody will call it terrible and won't allow them to grow. If they start here yeah. and say, okay, we just did what you guys know and love. Different people, mm, different mm. personalities, and it's coming. Of obviously Sabine, Chris, we're going to see all those folks, and we're of course they're going to be yeah, coming yeah, yeah. in future yeah, yeah. episodes. But uh, I, I'm, I'm really ready to get past this formula. We've seen it; mm. it's been mm. done at its pinnacle. It's been done by three hilarious yeah. guys yeah, yeah. at a high level. It's been done. Now they've proved they can redo it with good personalities, mm-hmm. good people. Let's push on past this, guys. Let's push sure, it into something sure, else. Sure. And especially now that Fifth Gear, Tiff is no longer on Fifth Gear yeah, as well. No kidding. So there no kind of yeah. leaves a hole there. And, you know, we're obviously we, we love Top Gear. You know, that's that's part of yeah. the part of what inspired us. But uh, you know, yeah. we wanted to really talk more about the cars. I don't want to see them go off into destruction mode or, you know, just a I don't It'll be know. interesting. It'll be interesting to see where we'll it goes. See. I mean, we'll it, yeah, see. it felt like it felt like last season plugged in with new new hosts. So we'll mm-hmm. see where that goes. Mm-hmm. And I have to say, when they first uh, cast Matt LeBlanc, I went Matt LeBlanc, and yet I I finished this episode going, he was the best thing about the show. I liked him the best, which was really a surprise. So I read so very something. curious to see where that goes. Okay, I read something about him. Um, forget where I read. Uh, somebody had written that they wished Matt knew more about cars. And I had that comment in my mind when he first appeared and then the, you know, the Nomad segment finished. And I thought, no, that's nearly irrelevant. He knows some about cars, yeah. which is fine. Yeah. But I want to see somebody who maybe doesn't know as much and what's their take on this crazy machine that they're driving. Or that's kind of refreshing to me, actually, rather than somebody that can just 
you know, drown me in stats and production numbers and sure. all, all the yeah. ins and outs of the, I Tell me what you think. You're not that into cars. You're funny. You're engaging. You're a great personality. What do you think? That actually yeah. came to well, me. And I thought that was more interesting, personally. He clear he clearly knows enough to not not be bumbling, and he clearly True. can drive halfway decent, which is great. Right. So, and then right. he's just he's so comfortable in front of the camera while driving that, as we know, is hard. Yeah. So I think yeah. that's going to get him a long way. So I'll be very curious to see where we go, and uh, you know, I'm already excited for next week to see Chris Harris. Uh, with the BBC budget, that sounds like a good thing. We should probably do a car debate before we spend the entire hour talking about uh, someone else's show. Yeah. That's true. That's true. Let's jump into our own debate here with Justin. As I said, uh, he was not clear where he's writing from, but he no, did tell say. us a story here, and it's a great one, Justin. <laughs> this is pretty funny because uh, he's been wanting a new car for a while, and he said he has not had a fun car since an 88 E30 325 IS, but that was mm -hmm. 10 years ago. He's had a street yeah. bike. He's yeah. got, uh, what, a big truck, old uh, F-Series Ford uh, pickup truck. And he's got this Jeep Grand Cherokee 1998 with the 5.9 mm -hmm. liter. I believe that's a V8 there. And, you know, trying to put Band-Aids on the problem. He said he's watching YouTube yeah, videos. Yeah. He's putting good rubber on uh, on his wife's Acura TSX, which I believe they got rid of. And he's just kind of Band-Aiding through until it looks like he's got the blessing from his wife to go mm -hmm. ahead and get a sports car. So she's going to be driving the Jeep. They're keeping the truck as sort of the beater, Home Depot runs. Well, the truck is... 1976 F-250, so it's <laughs> yeah. clearly the old beater truck that gets the haul duty. So that makes all kinds of sense. I think it's interesting here that he mentions that he only does about 3,000 miles a year, which mm -hmm. can really change the number of options. He's looking for something that can get him into sports cars. He has called me out and said nothing tiny. Now, he's about our size. He's 6'3", 210, so he's about our size. But he doesn't want something really small. So he's he's told me that I ha cannot recommend a Miata or an FRS. Okay. So, Okay. Can I recommend a BRZ? No, that's technicality. But uh, So he's, he said he doesn't want something tiny, but he wants a genuine sports car for autocrossing and probably uh, actual track days. He's not going to get into racing with it necessarily, but he wants some track days. So he's looking for character and power. I mean, the, the TSX was fun with better rubber on it, but he's looking for his preference here. He says slightly unique, naturally aspirated mildly modified, modified cars, and uh, so definitely something with some personality to it. Uh, and he starts listing things he's driven or he's curious about, which, hey, Justin Bravo, you've already looked at some really cool stuff. This is going to be fun. I, uh, he's got this list here of cars he has not driven but on his list. I do recommend, both of us recommend you driving these cars because your opinion mm -hmm. might change. You've got a lot of information here as far as technicality, but Justin, you got to drive yeah. these cars. Yeah. Something true, else that true. caught my interest here is uh, his statement here about liking slightly unique, naturally aspirated, and mildly modified. And I, mm -hmm. I question you, Justin, because of the mildly modified. Todd and I have debated this endlessly, and you know it's yeah. the buy a cheap car and mod it up to oblivion or buy a better car. If you're just mildly modifying something, is that for a particular reason or it's just because – you mm -hmm. like it, so it's not quite stock. It's for polarity's sake. It's not really for performance yeah. or pleasure, driving pleasure's sake. It's just so you know that, okay, I've done something different. 
Whew, that's it's mine. Not, yeah. You know, from the factory. Yeah. Well, maybe, you know, depending on what it is, you might be putting your money in the wrong place. Maybe buy a different maybe. car. I mean, I, I also get the sense that he might want to get something and then do some of those small changes to it. I, I get the sense he okay. wants to do like an right. exhaust here or maybe this car needs sway bars. I, I get the sense he wants to do maybe a little bit of stuff to it. Sure. Maybe sure. more so than buying it that way. I, I think it's the kind of thing where he's not going to buy it and put another ten grand into it modifying, but he's going to go, you know what I'd like to do? This needs an exhaust or whatever. I, I get okay. that vibe. I could see him. that. I could see that. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, E46 M3. Interesting. That could be interesting. Yeah. Uh, Would be very cool. Great, great engine. That that inline six. I mean, that's a classic. Get it in the six speed. Very cool car. And he's already made a list here. He thinks, you know, okay, this has already dropped as far as it's going to drop in depreciation. So here's the. I'd do pads and I'd do Pilot Super Sports and I'd do a suspension drop. And I think there's some Euro headers I'd like. I mean, he, clearly you've researched this car, Justin. <laughs> um, yeah. Interesting. Now I should mention he gets down here at the bottom. I finally picked it out. His budget is about fifty-five grand on the high side. So keep that in mind as we're talking through these. His budget's about fifty-five grand or less. So obviously the E46 is way in that range, and he goes, he jumps then to the Z4M Coupe, which he feels like is also at the bottom of depreciation. Uh, but he likes the fact that it's just more of a different, huh? What's that car than the standard E46? Which honestly, I think you'd be really pleased with either of those. Um, I didn't land on either of them for you, but they're interesting. Very good cars, very good choices. Uh, a little bit less unique in terms of, you know, the car guys, the sphere of of car enthusiasts is the E90 series M3. Excellent car. Mm -hmm. We love this car. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Driven um, it like crazy. Curious to know why you don't like the styling on that one as much. I actually prefer it. And the E92, the four-door, I really love that car. The However, 90's the four. The 92's the coupe, but it doesn't okay, matter. Okay, 92's coupe. That's right. Um all right, so you've got to drive this car. Your opinion may change. Yes, they mm -hmm. will still depreciate there, but again, part of that is is something you're going to have to swallow. I mean, we all will have yeah. to deal with yeah. that is you can't get around the depreciation factor. And then mm -hmm. uh, Justin tells us a story about the Corvettes that he's driven. He's yes. done the C6. He's driven the 04 C5, which is a Z06. And he mentions mm -hmm. here, which I didn't realize, Justin, you've researched this. He has said that if the um, the LS7 engine is having some drop valve issues, and so people are spending about $2,500 right away before they have the problem of, mm -hmm. yeah, just shredded engine. And uh, I'm curious to know, hopefully nobody owns a Z06 that's listening and uh, has had that problem. But that's just, I mean, if you have to, put 2500 bucks into a car right away just to sort of fix well, the problem. We're in that world of Porsche and the IMS issues. It's it's well, the same true. kind of I mean as much true. as much trouble as the Porsche uh non-Porsche people give Porsche people for the IMS issue. This is the same thing in the, in Corvette world. But I do think it's interesting that he's driven the C6 and he's driven a C5. And he didn't feel like the C5. He thought the interior was abysmal, and didn't think uh, didn't think the C6 was special enough. So those cars are kind of out. But he acknowledges that the Z06 that he's looked at with the fix puts him within spitting distance of a new C7. Which I'm glad you went there, Justin, because I thought, wait a minute, can you afford a C7? When I found out your budget, I thought that's a real front runner, and you're very curious about it. Hmm. Yeah, this is this is a car that. You know, both you and I have said we would own. We've still yet to Absolutely. drive the Z06, yeah. but the, just the C7 Stingray as it is, this is a fabulous car. 
And yes, and you, very impressive. Yeah, you, you can get into that car for your budget. So, yeah, and there's little things you can do, little you know, things here and there that you can do. The interior is far better than the prior Corvettes of any generation. So, yeah, you would definitely like that car. And then at the end here, the last car that he again is not mm-hmm. driven but suggests is the Shelby GT350. If you haven't seen that, we yeah. just reviewed that, Justin. I'm sure you've probably watched that by now. You've got to drive this car, but I doubt you mm-hmm. can find one for your budget for fifty-five grand. This is the problem. Yeah, this is the problem. If you do buy it immediately, because the weight issue that you're talking <laughs> about here is not an issue. It isn't. I promise. Well, but it's but but not. I but I have to acknowledge the issue. The thing he's concerned about. The thing the C set the the. Corvettes prior, I feel like these are your two front runners. The Corvettes prior to the C7 didn't feel special enough. You love the look of the C uh, the C7, and I'm telling you, the interior, the seats, the driving dynamics of that car, great. That car weighs roughly 3,200, 3,300 pounds. Mm-hmm. Your issue with the GT350 is that it weighs 3,700 pounds, which I acknowledge is kind of a pig in just sheer stats for a sports car. But you wouldn't know it to drive it. Right. That's the thing. In stats, it is a car that, that carries its weight so well. I fully agree with you, Justin. That figure is a horrifying sports car figure. I know you don't want an FRS, but that's a thousand pounds more than my FRS. Yeah, that's a shocking sports car stat. But what's interesting is there's a list of cars in the world now that carry their weight so well that it doesn't matter what that weight figure is. You go, it really weighs that much. I didn't, I had no idea. Mm-hmm. That GT350 is in that range. The problem is. You could get a C7 for your budget. You're not going to find a GT350 for a year or two that might be down to your range. Uh, I mean, even the one that we drove, bought for 51, sold for 64, now listed at 74. And that's a base one. I'm <laughs> yeah. sorry, that's insane. Yeah. So unfortunately, I think that Shelby's out. But it brings up this weight discussion, which comes back around in my ideas. I've got two ideas and two wild cards for Justin. Wow. Wow. I actually just went one car. And I suppose you you could call it the wild card sniper shot all wrapped up in one. Interesting. All right. This weight issue that we're talking about, Nissan GTRs are are as or slightly heavier than that GT350. Mm -hmm. And Mm -hmm. look at the the performance stats, the numbers. Yep. So, again, you've got to drive it and then think, okay, 3,700 pounds, maybe it's no longer an issue. But, again, Mm -hmm. price, you probably can't get it. However... I have come up with this one car for you that I okay. think will intrigue you, but based on Justin's recommendations or his desire here, there's one giant problem with it. Now, hopefully we can get okay. past that. I will explain how, <laughs> but it's okay. a car I've, I've recommended before. We've suggested this, and I found you one on sale that is in Seattle at Park Place Limited, one of my faves. And Whoa, it wow, is, that means it's clean. It's yeah. so... <laughs> It's gorgeous. All right. Are you ready? It is a 2014, 2014 Chevy Camaro ZL1. This hmm. car is 1,300 miles. It's red, black wheels, black interior, $49,000. I mean, interesting. it's right. brand new. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And as you probably are realizing, the big problem is it's got a supercharger. It's not the natural aspiration. Yeah. But if you're doing ECU tunes and tweaks and this and that... The car comes with a supercharger. You don't have to tune the ECU. You don't have to do anything. All you have to do is start driving it. It's fantastic as it is. We know it is is. the purposes you're wanting to use it for, track, autocross, the the, uh, driver education, Mm -hmm. high-performance driving events. 
uh, all those kinds of things. He's looking this car, for, for real power. Yeah, I see that. It's I a see large that. car. You will definitely feel comfortable fitting in this car. Mm-hmm. I'm just kind of looking at this thing going, wow, 49 grand. Why is this car still for sale? Alcantara. I'm looking. Alcantara interior. Yeah, uh, I'm sure it is. Red, 1,300 miles. It's brand new. Here's, Yeah, here's what's interesting about that you going with that the sniper shot is you have already talked around a lot of my thoughts. Huh. You haven't hit any of my thoughts, but you talked around a lot of them. Oh, really? I do want to say to you, Justin, that of the list you sent us, I would say the answer of the list you sent us, those five, which again was the uh, three BMWs, E46, the Z, uh, Z4, the E92, and then the C7 and GT350. Of those five you sent us, I think the C7 is your winner. Of those five, hmm. so I do want sure. to acknowledge that, sure, and, I, sure. and I want to say if you want to, if you're worried about depreciation, buy a year old one. You've still got warranty left. Somebody else took the initial hit, mm-hmm. yeah. and then you're a little bit happier on the depreciation end. So there's that thought. Looking at your BMWs, I have this thought for you. What about an M235i? That's more in the wild card range, but what hmm. about that car? Hmm. Because you're dealing in kind of E46 size. But a modern BMW, I think those M235s in general are not common and interesting looking. It is on the small side. A lot of the cars you've looked at, uh, those BMWs specifically, are smaller cars. You're interested in that smaller car in that range. Okay, the right weight, you could get one for your budget. I say look at that. And then if you want to go tuning nuts, we've talked about it before, the Deenan guys could make you <laughs> yeah. extra hot later down the road if you decided. Yeah, clearly. So I think that M235i would be an interesting car you could go buy now versus get on a wait list for an M2. Obviously, that's not naturally aspirated, but I kind of wonder about that in replacement to the other BMWs you're looking at because they're either older or not as interesting. That's, so that's my thought there. Hmm, I like then that. I had this thought, which is also a wild card, and that is... It's right at the top of your budget. Of course it is, because it's us talking. But <laughs> you brought up the GTR, Paul, and I say, why not a GTR? Oh, really? Really? Now, I will acknowledge, for fifty-five grand, you you're you're looking at an 09 and a few 2010s. I would highly recommend you get a 2010 and avoid an 09 yeah. if you're going to look at this. The problem with the GTR is maintenance. That's the problem. But you're putting on 3,000 miles a year? Really? So if you're putting on 3,000 miles a year, then you're not going to be flying through maintenance barriers on that car like most people do when they daily drive them. So you're going to be putting on that. And then it also, again, that's a heavier car even than the 3,700-pound GT350. But it is a car that just says, I don't care what I weigh. Let me show you what I can do. Right, right. It's such a different driving experience than anything you've had and anything you're even looking at. It's a wild card. I fully acknowledge I don't know that it would be my personal first choice, but I think for you, it's it try to find one to drive. It may just be so unique and so jaw-dropping for you that you can't stay away. So look and see if you can find one. However, I almost feel like I have your car. Really? And I got close really? to where you are, Paul. You like the Shelby GT350. You want a naturally aspirated engine. The GT350 obviously is a unique engine, a pretty much track-ready car from the factory. Why aren't we talking about the Camaro Z28? Sure, sure. Price, Seven though. liter, naturally Price. aspirated. You can. I bet you you can get them. I bet you money you can get them. Really? For fifty five grand at this point, because in fact I say that I did look it up, and yes, you absolutely can. Fifty five grand and less, you can get those cars. They're not mm. that old. I mean, the thing is, they were they had the exact same problem the GT three fifty is going through right now. Here's the list price. Everybody's selling them for fifteen over. 
Then everybody can't move them six, eight months later. The prices drop below MSRP and people are selling one-year-old ones that they bought for 80 so they could show off. Right. 55 grand, you could get a Camaro Z28. And that is right now the direct crossover from the GT350 and you can find them for your budget. Hmm. That great would be seats, unique. great seating position. Absolutely. Great seats, great seating position. Not a nice interior. Yes, bunker styling. I acknowledge all of that. But if you're going to track this car, you're going to blow your mind and everyone else's in that car. <laughs> it is the true. same basic weight of the GT350. And again, I think that Camaro Z28, you need to take a serious, serious look because that is a unique animal and it checks every box for you. Hmm. It does check the naturally aspirated thing. Although I will say with supercharging, you don't get the light switch kind of power. I mean, you're, you're belt, belt driven, so it's more yeah. of the surge and it, yeah, hey, the, the power is there, but it doesn't feel ZL1's like ZL1's a great turbo. car. I will not, I will not turn him away from the ZL1. That's a great car. And if you can, Justin, drive both. But I really feel like Z28 does everything you're talking about and it's not on your list. I think it should be. They're actually kind of different feeling cars too. I mean, they've, they've got different mm-hmm. personalities, even though same yeah. chassis, kind of, you know, same, almost same everything, oh, yeah, yeah. except for the motor. But different, different suspension components, different engines, different wheels, uh, and it, and they give very different personalities as a result. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I'm a big fan of the Z28. It really, it it really seriously impressed me, and I think it's a, it's kind of a wash with the the GT350 in a lot of ways. So. Because you can afford it and nobody's going to price gouge you on it, I think it's really worth a look. Good choices, too. I don't think we've ever recommended a Nissan GTR ever on the show. I mean, first of all, they've kind of been out of the price range of most buyers. They're out of the price range a lot of times, yeah. But they're starting and to come down. Look, you know that? They are. They are. I'm telling you, when GTRs and Hellcats can be had for thirty grand, take cover. <laughs> Seriously? But uh, I'm telling right. you, I, I stand by that. But, you know, the thing <laughs> is the GTR is not as involving as a lot of the cars you and I like. But it is yeah. – there is no denying how unbelievably uh, well-performing that car is. It's just – it will astound you. So if you're looking for something that is unique and will astound you and has power and performance and all of that, it has to wind up on the list. It mm-hmm. just has to. Mm-hmm. And, yeah, back to hammering on the weight thing, that car has blown our minds knowing yeah. how heavy it is. And then we get out of it and look at it and go, well, it, but it weighs, but it can do this. Yeah. But look how much it weighs. Yeah. It, it's I, just you're, it plays Justin, with your head. It really does. Yeah, just, yeah, absolutely, Justin. More so than you, I am a weight snob. I'm a total weight snob. I look at to the point that I look at the C7 at 3,300 pounds and go, "That's a bit heavy, guys." You know, so I'm I'm a weight snob. I totally acknowledge, yeah. and yet here is that GTR at like 4,000 pounds, laughing at me with what it can <laughs> right. do. Right, and we so scratch I, our heads I, and go, "I hear it. It yeah. shouldn't be able to do this, but yet it does." Yeah, yeah it's it's fascinating. Wow. So we should probably move on to some questions from Facebook because you guys are being awesome about that. So thank you for hitting us again with a bunch of questions. I picked out four, but mm-hmm. I'm hoping you grab some as well. Mm-hmm-hmm. Scrolling through the list now, and I am noticing some questions that uh, we have not addressed being reposted. I get it. I see it. Uh, <laughs> little little jabs. I'm seeing it, guys. Um well, but it's just we can't get to all of them. So if you that's want to repost, true. that's it's, fine. It's Hopefully, it'll it'll bubble its way up. I don't. Yeah, I, I don't. I take that fairly. That's okay. There's one that I want to. Who is it? It's the license plate. Here we go. Randy oh, Howden. Okay. <laughs> he asks, "What if? Right. What are some cool custom license plates you've seen around?" 
And I chose your question, Randy, because Todd and I have laughed and marveled at uh, what we feel is stupidity of owners who essentially rebadge their cars by oh, yes. putting the model or the number of whatever it is on their license. A great example is, say, a 911, a Porsche 993, 911. Mm-hmm. And then you mm-hmm. see 993 on the tag. and Well, what, yeah. it's not unique. You've well, rebadged your car. What? Well, especially when it's especially when the, the rear license plate is so often in such proximity to the actual badging <laughs> of the, the car, <laughs> right? And it, right. and in the case of those nine elevens, it's ridiculous because the nine eleven will say it'll say Porsche Carrera four S, and then the license plate will say nine nine three four S. Thank you, right? Thank you for clarifying for me. You know, but but honestly, some of the worst offenders are our Tesla owners. Tesla yeah. Model X, yeah. and then it says next to Tesla Model X. It's like, which car was it now? I mean, if you took the badging off your car and then decided to brand it with the license plate, I might be okay with it. But when you've actually just told me what the car is again with the license plate, I just feel like you're wasting your own money, let alone the fact you wasted my brain cells. <laughs> exactly. Or Randy's 911. Like, really? Really? That's the Thanks, best Randy. you could do? You know, so obviously... <laughs> Examples of terrible license plates and the Tesla owners, yes, they drive me absolutely crazy. The no more oil or yeah, whatever it is, just stop it. So well, and I've seen I've seen the Priuses with no oil, and I've seen yeah. I've seen all kind. I mean, you you, you get the you, your license plate is not a political statement. Here's the thing: I went through a phase where I thought I should get a cool license plate, and then I realized two things. One, that makes me more recognizable. Just saying, I go lots of the same places. I, I, no. uh, so that's right. part one. And then part, part two, I realized there's really nothing I have to say that badly on my car. And a license plate is, it's like a barcode. Let's be honest. It's a barcode on the bottom of your groceries. It doesn't need to say anything cute. It's just a registration number. Right, right. I, 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 got, I got past at some point. I, I very rarely see a personalized plate and I think, now that's cool. It's very it's rare. rare. There's two that strike me. I know I've seen cooler ones, but there's two that were that struck me. And one was the E46 M3 when that came out. They advertised 333 mm-hmm. horsepower out of this inline six. And I saw one that said 333 reasons. I thought, okay, reasons to buy the yeah. car. All right, I get it. Yeah. And then when I was a kid, uh, a friend, a class classmate that I had, his dad drove a Pontiac 6000. Which was, okay. it spoke to you yeah. and had buttons and whatever. <laughs> but he had an interesting license plate that I've never forgotten. And it's S-Y-Z-Y-G-Y, pronounced syzygy. Go look this up. It means a conjunction or opposition, or another definition could mean a pair of connected or corresponding things. And I forget exactly what he was connecting it to in his life, but it was interesting. It was unique. S-Y-Z-Y-G-Y. And there's a long list of meanings in a lot of different categories, huh. from astronomy to poetry to Greek comedy to all these things. And it so, always stuck out. It was just interesting and So I'm going to need to write that down and look it up later while I'm in traffic. That's not helpful. Exactly. But I take your point. Yes. Please do not look at your phone while you're driving. But well, uh, I have, to tell, it's crazy I have to tell that license plate story. That, that, that is funny. I have to tell that license plate story that actually you found that one license plate oh, that remains right. one of my favorite uh, personalized <laughs> plates because you can put a whole backstory with, with what you found. We were shooting on a hairpin once. We're shooting on this, this big hairpin that you certainly can get wrong here in Utah. And so we're standing off to the side of the hairpin getting ready for the car to come by. And Paul pulls out of the brush a crumpled Utah license plate. 
Mm -hmm. We're like, huh, somebody lost the license plate. And he uncrumples it, and it says, flat six. And we all died laughing because we instantly knew the story. Somebody came around the corner in a classic 911 flat six and lost it with the tail end and scraped that tail end along the side rock wall of the outside of this corner, clearly trying to survive and clearly ripped off their license plate into a crumpled mess and then drove away in their <laughs> rear engine 911 and left flat six as a marker. So I love that you have that license plate somewhere and somebody's out there probably got a new one, but I have to laugh. <laughs> I do. I still have it. It's here in my garage, flat six. It's all bent. I mean, it tells the story, you're right, of, mm-hmm. hey, welcome to Oversteer. Rub your license yeah. plate off and just, you're probably embarrassed, so you probably just hightailed it out of there. And uh, Yeah. Yeah, so if you're listening and Flat 6 was you, we um, we had a good laugh at your expense. So just We have your license plate and we are still laughing. That <laughs> exactly. is true. Yeah, so um, <laughs> John May asked, best two-seater sports car, hard top only, for ten grand or less. Ooh, ooh. And All I right. thought of one. I actually thought of one. Hmm. John, take a serious look at the Nissan 350Z. It's it's not my favorite, but you know what? They're robust. They handle pretty well. The gearboxes are good. The engines are solid. I would say get as recent a car as you can. The problem is at ten grand, you're looking at a lot of O threes, which is year one. I wouldn't recommend year one. But if you can get, I did find a couple of 05s. I found a couple of 06s. I mean, you have to look around a little bit. But there's even now the the NASA Racing League has gone with a with a spec 350 group, and that's kind of the step up from spec Miatas. So I think the 350Z is worth a serious look, and you can find all kinds of port, parts and support for them. Hmm, that's a great choice. That makes me think of the RX8, the Mazda. The one big problem is maintenance. You've got a ten thousand yeah. dollar sports car that is great, a lot of fun, mm-hmm. but then mm-hmm. maintenance and all the potential pitfalls that are that. I'm actually looking up RX-8s right now, see if I could find You one. could have your pick of RX-8s. You really I'm could. Sure. Yeah. Sure. Yeah, For yeah, 10 yeah. grand? I mean, that's almost yeah. worth it, just, yeah. Maintenance is your is your question mark there, but you could have your selection of them at that price. Gosh, yeah. Wow. 10 grand. What else? There's plenty that we're forgetting, I'm sure. I'm sure. Yeah. Well, I mean, but you can you can start finding all stuff if you go old enough. I mean, we can get into old Porsches. We can get into, you know, sure. other Japanese cars. The question is how old and what's the maintenance? I mean, you're not going to find a nice, uh, a nice pristine uh, old, you know, 90s Supra for that kind of money because the pristine ones are going for too much. Uh, you're not going to find a nice, you know, E30 BMW because, again, people are snatching those up. You may find run-down versions. So then <laughs> it's a question of do I want the run-down version and want to do something to it? That's a whole separate conversation. I'm trying to think of something at ten grand you could theoretically put normal maintenance into and go drive it hard. And that's what I, why I kind of land on that Z car. Hmm. Here's an 04 RX-8 Grand Touring for 9900 with 32,000 miles. And mm-hmm. another uh, RX-8 Sport, <laughs> sixty-four thousand. You said miles. that, and I thought you said thirty-three thousand miles, and I thought, oh, you're only a third of the way to replacing your engine. <laughs> anyway, uh, yeah, yeah, it's terrible to say, but there's too many of those stories, unfortunately. I mean, the 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 go-to when you say ten thousand and sports car, it's a Porsche nine forty-four, just because that's what everybody yeah. wants to do is ten grand or less. Yeah. The sports car, I'm going to go autocross it, track it. I mean, there's such a community and parts, you know, available for that car. But what's, but but what's your maintenance there? You certainly could get one. Yeah, they're old, and they're what's old. your maintenance? That is absolutely the question. Balance is great, 
But uh, and of course, you know, then you can get into the older Z cars. You know, what are the two forties, the two sixties? But the problem is, people are snatching those up too, or have already tuned them to make them into something else, drift cars or whatever. So you may have trouble finding those. So th- these are these are rabbit holes to, to chase down. But uh, those are some thoughts. Yeah, yeah. All right, Dami Anafowakan. I think I pronounced that correctly. It's uh, it's tough. Who knows? Uh, we've, we've talked to Dammy before. Keep yes, going. we have. He's a great fan of the show, and he's written us lots of questions. But he asks, what is a car that you think was a generation or two from being great? And he gives us suggestions, you know, the Fiero, Pontiac Solstice, things like that. And uh, I I thought of one, and this might be— I must be, acknowledge uh, something real okay, quick, though. Okay, okay. I didn't pick this question because, Dammy, as far as I'm concerned, you answered your own question. The first two I thought of were the Pontiac Fiero and the Solstice were the first two I thought of. And you listed those, and I was like, well, that question's been answered. But I'm very (laughs) curious what you want to add. Well, I will say, and this might be a little bit of, um, I don't know what you would call it. uh, It wouldn't be narcissism, but it would be trumpeting a little bit. But I would say, you remember the early 2000s Mercury Cougar? And that car... (laughs) I know where you're going, yeah. It was kind of on its way. It was okay. It was front-wheel drive. But they reimagined the Cougar as a smaller, lighter sports car. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. It was total departure from the generation prior. Yeah, I get that. Completely. And I was actually working for Ford in Dearborn at the time and had the opportunity to work on the second-generation design of that car. And I thought, this could be something sports car fun reasonably priced and it never saw the light of day because they killed the Mercury yeah, brand. They killed it. Mercury is not synonymous with sports car. It just isn't. Yeah, that's true. And then the You're whole right. brand right. went away. Then we, yeah. So I will, I will put that out there. The second generation of the Cougar that never saw the mm. light of day doesn't exist, but uh, they could have gone somewhere. It wasn't terrible to drive. And, Maybe damning with faint praise, but <laughs> it wasn't terrible. <laughs> I I could see that on I the ad right now. Like the Mercury something. Cougar. It wasn't terrible. <laughs> we have a new version, and it's even more not terrible. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> now even more with the not terribleness or something unbelievable. Wow. Um, so I'll put that out there, but otherwise, yeah, the Solstice. Okay. Gosh, yeah, bring it. The Saturn Sky. Solstice and the Fiero. I feel like when they killed the Fiero, it was it was kind of like the back. They kind of did a refresh in the middle of that. It was starting to become an interesting car. In fact, I really would like to get one of those late, like those 88s or so, the mm-hmm. very late Fieros. I'd like to get mm-hmm. one of those on camera and really talk it through. But it was becoming a really interesting car, and it was like if, if the next generation is an improvement, like we think it'll be, it'll be great. The same thing with the Solstice and the Saturn Sky. You know, those cars were surprisingly good first gen. Wouldn't it have been cool to see a new one? But, you know, clearly yeah. it's not happening. Yeah, clearly. All right, what else uh, is on your list here? I'm curious. Uh, well, Kevin uh, Kevin Roxo wrote in and said, do you guys like the Fast and Furious movies? Ah. Um, well, uh, I would say this. <laughs> they, are, they are entertaining. Come on. Yeah. It's fast cars. It's beautiful girls. It's big locations. It's, you know, it's just that. A bunch of guys hanging out, doing a heist. They're fun to watch in that kind of popcorn, ridiculous throwaway movie thing. They are, they have kind of ruined people, I will be honest, for watching car content. And I will say that because I have a hyper kind of awareness of this, but I can always tell when car footage has been sped up. Mm, and right, right. those movies are just full of it. They're full of sped up car content. And, you know, there's certainly there's some real stuff that gets done in some of them, some practical effects. But by the time you get up to, to seven, it's just 
there's almost nothing practical left. But but any even if you take a simple movie and they speed the cars up, I can instantly tell. But the problem is the reverse of that equation. People watch our stuff where the cars are not sped up, and we are sometimes going by camera at, well borderline arrestable speeds and people are like oh you guys are just driving slow and i'm like that's what a car really looks like at 80 by the way <laughs> right it, right you know you could i could i could speed it up to double time and you'd think oh you guys are going fast but that's twice how it was actually shot it's just fast and furious is one of the one of the most egregious in doing that kind of thing and passing it off as this is what cars look like at speed and it's not and that's the problem i have is is we're kind of brain conditioned to well that's how fast cars look no that's how fast cars look fake so that's the, the problem that i have with it even though i will acknowledge i've seen them all and i've you know enjoyed sections of many of them yeah, I, I'm kind of with you. I mean, it's for me, checks a lot of the boxes that make movies great. Fire trucks, power tools, hot chicks, <laughs> yes. explosions, You've talked fast about it before. Cars, it pretty much does your entire list. Guns right. of all kinds. And uh, no, I, I – uh, they're okay. They're fun to watch. But I will they're say – They're ridiculous, but they're fun. It's like, uh, as you said, I think you called the Transformers movie sort of the Saturday morning cartoon version of, you know, whatever, you know, robots from space – and uh, I think they're yeah. kind of in that category. But Certainly. I will say, not to pick on Sylvester Stallone again, but there <laughs> is a movie that really sucks. Another one called Driven from 01. This movie was terrible, and it was about cars. And I'm thinking, yeah. I, I like it. It's got cars in it. No, I didn't. It was terrible. You're talking about the F1 movie? The one where they were F1 it, it was, drivers? Uh, it was the championship auto racing. It was... Uh, you know, like cart uh, racing, indie racing, that kind of thing. But no, oh, yeah, that's right. Just, yeah, that's right. Yeah. Ugh, I, <laughs> I mean, why am I picking for, on Sylvester for, Stallone? I'm not sure. For a guy just, who claims to like Stallone, you keep coming back to to, to just torch his movies. Anyway, I, I mean, yeah, burn him at the stake. The the uh, Fast and Furious movies are brilliant, masterful filmmaking in comparison to that dribble. But yeah. they're as filmmaking goes, it's it's the hyper realism. It's it's too much, but we're sucked in because they've become a thing bigger than themselves now. I kind of think. Yeah. I mean, they're, yeah. they're a, you could, you know, there's going to well, be a Fast and Furious 92. Oh, yeah. Well, but, now but, with but, they're, but they're genuinely talking about making 10 of those movies. I thought we were now, ending at 8. I'm sorry. Are you kidding? No, 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 no. Oh, they're, no. They're, they're, they're absolutely planning on doing 10. But because here's money. the thing. You know, and back to what I said earlier about controversy and that kind of stuff, controversy, scandal, tragedy, it's all the same thing that drives people. Seven was this worldwide mega hit. I'm sorry, but Seven was a worldwide mega hit, as tragic as it is, because people wanted to see how do you put in or remove Paul Walker from these movies. Mm -hmm. People that would have never watched that movie otherwise watched it for that reason. I don't believe eight, nine, and ten have a chance of being anywhere close to as successful as Seven comes for back that to what reason, you were talking the, about, the Top Gear. Exactly. And, um, it's that exact same TV controversy show. scandal reality. It's yeah. the same uh, just kind of curiosity, looky-loo, whatever you want to say, rubbernecking concept. That plays into the success of Seven. And I hate to say it, but very few people even acknowledge that. Eight, nine, and ten. Do we need ten? Do we even need seven Fast and Furious movies is, is the better question. But that's already happened now. But there are there's going to be ten of them. And by the time you get to seven, where it's pretty much just... The Rock walking around bathed in body oil, flexing his muscles. It, it, you, you just you have to laugh at that point. You know, you, you have so to. It's just point, right? it's it's so unbelievably ridiculous 
that it's the thing you laugh you laugh and watch just because you want to be like I just I want to put something on that'll make me laugh and I'll watch it and off we go. So anyways, that's much more than I planned to give that Keith, but there's that uh, that question for you. <laughs> we, we did that justice. All right. Yeah. Uh James Dyer is actually asking two questions, but I will pick one mm-hmm. of them and that okay. is the automatic rev matching and he is asking about the downshifting. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, you know, is is that something we're welcoming? Do we like that? Or is it, you know, getting away from the pure driving experience? I'm mixed about it, James, because I've mm. driven the 350Z Nismo. Uh, what else? The M235i. C7 Corvette. C7 Corvette. C7 Corvette. Uh, a few cars that have this technology. I guess I like it in the, the uh, dual clutch. I like it a lot. Mm-hmm. Dr- leaving it in manual. And we've driven the M4. And in my Cayman, I'm actually liking it. And we've gotten in cars that have that, that are the automatic, so the dual clutch. And instructors riding shotgun will say, you know, at least for the BMW, they're sort of trying to sell you on the virtues of the transmission, but still, sure, sure, they're saying, let the transmission do the work for you. Just take a lap or two and don't put it in manual and, you know, see what you think. And I've got to admit, yeah. it's impressive. It knows. Sure. The 911 GT3 in pilgrimage that we drove, just mm-hmm. impressive. I mean, we were recommended. You know what? Just leave it there. Yes, you can shift with the paddles if you want, but try it out. And it's phenomenal. I think it adds yeah. in that sense when you're on track, when you're at high speed. The rest of the time, well, I like kind of the manual. I think I'd like to have mm-hmm. be able to turn that off and get back to the purity of the driving experience. So I think it depends on what you're doing is my answer. I think that's fair. And you've kind of gone off into how it relates in automatics too, but I want to keep it in, in manual transmissions. And, and I agree that 370Z had it the and the C7 had it. Those are the first two that strike me. Uh, and both of those systems are very good. Now we're, we've heard that the upcoming M2 has it, uh, and that kind of talks about the other side of the problem. I would say this about it, James. I think it's a really cool feature if you can turn it off. Right. Right. And I say that because I'm not always going to turn it off. If I'm on a track and I'm just worried about the line and how fast can I do this, there are some times when it just takes one thought out of the equation. I don't have to worry about heel towing and making that perfect. I can turn this on and just worry about my line for two or three laps. Awesome. Awesome. Let's do that. But at the same time, if I'm on a back run, I want to play with heel toe and I want to really enjoy, I want to be able to have a button where I can kill that feature and kill it completely so that it's all about me and just enjoying. I think it is a really cool tech, but only if it really does come with a completely turn it off switch. Yeah. Yeah. I'm with you on that. I, uh, gosh, M2 will have it. I don't think that 235 had it. I think I was wrong there. I can't remember it had it or not. I don't remember, to be honest with you. Hmm. Yeah, but yeah. There's been some discussion about how in a lot of the the super hot, a lot of the kind of medium hot modes on the M2, you can't turn it off. You've got to go like trash control and all the nannies off before it kills it in the M2. And there's been some debate about shouldn't it be available to turn off in other modes? It'll be very curious to actually get one uh, and drive it. We actually have one coming up. Uh, slight slight spoiler there, but we have ah, one coming yeah. up eventually, and uh, yeah, we're going to get in the M2 sooner rather than later as a press car and do some shooting with it. We're excited about what we have planned. So that'll be an interesting thing to discuss. Yeah, yeah, this will be interesting. You can just get out your wire cutters and snip. Took it up, problem. Yeah. No problem. Is there, yeah, is there, is there a fuse somewhere? How do we, yeah, what <laughs> yeah. fuse number is that? Somebody will put it on a form. Exactly. It's bound to happen. Should we do uh, Should we do one more? Do you have another one? Yeah, uh, what else here? Um, I 
I liked this because it's so different. And Joshua Booth okay. asks us, what's the most American truck? And define oh, wow. the criteria. I It could mean anything. Well, <laughs> the reason that I thought this would be interesting to discuss is because how do you do that? Because we could get into sure. the minutiae. Sure. Of, mm -hmm. well, this was mm -hmm. built over here, and well, that engine was assembled here and built by these people, and that was, you know, yeah. the, the yeah. Kentucky truck plant, and this was in. Where, uh, yeah, where's the line? Yeah, your, your, your Japanese cars that are built here, Japanese trucks that are built here, is that an American truck? I mean, this is, right, this right. is one of those ongoing. Talk about a bar fight discussion among car guys. <laughs> totally. Is when you talk about where is a car from. Yeah. Uh, okay. I mean, I, I feel like the, the, the default setting has to be. Where's the brand from? Because the minute you start chasing the minutia of, well, this part was built in, congratulations, you're on an international vehicle, no matter what you're picking, almost. I mean, it's crazy. Right, right. I, uh, Joshua, I'm just going to throw it out there. I'm going to say Ford. And I could, be, I could be shouted down. I could be told I'm wrong. I've been in GM trucks that are fantastic and going, this is quite well built and well designed. Of course, I think American trucks will always dominate the marketplace, so it's got to be one of the three. Ram trucks are impressing me too, but I guess I've mm -hmm. always kind of gravitated towards Ford. You can tell me found on road dead, but there's plenty of jokes going the other direction. And, I mean, from Henry Ford from the very beginning all the way to, yeah, the Kentucky truck plant to – I just kind of have always gravitated towards Fords. Now, yeah. I've had friends argue, well, you know, you – don't see that kind of power plant being put in the cigarette boats. I mean, no boats are powered by Fords or whatever. Yeah. Ah, well, all right. You got me there. And anyway, so I'm just, uh, it's just a preference. I found it really is because you could, as you said, there's a, a zillion different criteria that you can use. And one person likes one thing over another, or their daddy liked Ford, or their daddy liked Chevy. Or yeah, you're right. It's a it's a total judgment call thing. It's there, it's just and such a judgment about, call. You bring up an interesting point because I have to acknowledge, I don't have a genuine answer for this that is not just based on my own personal bias. I'm not a truck guy. I acknowledge. I fully acknowledge that. Sure. I'm just not a truck guy. I can't speak to a lot of truck things. I have a lot of GM history in my family, and so I am going to say Chevy. I have no basis for that whatsoever, honestly. Not, and not to disagree with you, but I literally have no basis other than this. When I think back as a child, my, my grandfather was literally a farmer, okay? He was a farmer and a trucker. That's all he did. Hmm. And if it wasn't for his 18-wheelers, he had Chevy trucks. And everyone around him that had farms had Chevy trucks. And they were in various levels of rust and beat up and all that kind of stuff. But they all ran, and they were all Chevys. Now, was there a reason for that? I have no idea. I couldn't begin <laughs> to tell you. Right. But here he was, a farmer, and he always had Chevy trucks, and everyone he knew that I ever saw in his tiny little postage stamp town had Chevys. Okay, uh, I'm going to go with that as an all-American work farmer truck. Is that right? I've got no idea. And it's history. I mean, my family's always yeah. been Ford. My dad's owned Ford trucks. Weird, my isn't it? Family, my sister and her husband, yeah, Ford I know. trucks, I know. pulling stuff. It's just... I, yeah, it's family history. I, I that's crazy, and it continues. It continues. Well, it's the the, the Ford Chevy debate is Hatfields and the McCoys. I mean, it really is. Totally. It's you know, yeah. it's yeah. it's the American Civil War all over again. There, there's no, there <laughs> right. isn't an answer. It's which side are you on? But I think both of those carry the banner, and I don't say that to to single out or leave out 
the Dodge lineup, but it's just those are the Coke and Pepsi of, of American trucks. Yeah, very and, much. And, you know, where do you land? I, I don't know. Hmm. Hmm. History. Family history. Well, guess what? We... We do our uh, we do our one hour podcast without even trying now. So uh, yeah, here we are again. Thank you guys for joining us. We'll be back on uh, on Friday with another podcast, and uh, of course we will have videos as fast as we can on Thursday. We've got a cool Audi piece that we've been kind of holding back as we've done more timely pieces. That is coming not this week but next. That is on its way. Uh, that is an Audi RS4 versus an Audi S4 of the next generation. Interesting discussions happened on that one. Uh, and it is a snowy piece, which I know is a little bit untimely now. But, uh, hey, we had our first summer day in Utah this uh, this uh, weekend. So we're not that far off. Yeah, finally. Summer is here. felt really good. Been waiting for this for a long time. But uh, in the meantime, looking forward to sharing more with you guys. Keep writing to us at EverydayDriverTV at Gmail for your car debate, as well as the website and Facebook. I, and I'm sure people are going to be copying and pasting and hitting us up again because we didn't get to their question That's yet. Great. But it's all, all good. good. Bring it on. And uh, looking forward to talking to you then. Thanks, guys. Bye.